My name is Bryce Michael Wood, and this is part 19 of For Your Discomfort. For Your Discomfort is a series of much-needed conversations that you can tune into live on Fridays at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via Zoom. Now, these conversations are designed to elevate the voices of those that have routinely been unheard and underrepresented. I did not set out to turn this into a podcast, but due to popular demand and our growing audience and the fact that I got you, I decided to provide the recordings of the audio. For all updates, please follow at For Your Discomfort on Instagram. And to sign up for future conversations, go to foryourdiscomfort.com. But in the meantime, white people, step into the room. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Bryce Michael Wood, and this is part 19 of For Your Discomfort. You heard me right. This is part 19 for your discomfort and I'm joined by Tara Bethune, Jordan Hunter, and Jade Thurman. And before we hop into anything that is introductions, anything a part of the conversation, I always like to start with a moment of silence um, to pay our respects to those that have not been lost, but to those that have been taken, right, due to the merciless just murder and, and senseless shootings of, of Black bodies. Uh, most notably, the past, like, two weeks have been ridiculous when it comes to the police and their relations to Black bodies. So if we could all just take a moment of silence right now. Um, Thank you. Um, you know, it is it is mentally and emotionally exhausting to continue to see how black bodies are treated in our own country. Um, you know, this this entire platform started after the George Floyd Amy Cooper situation because I was fed up right like I was I was tired and hyped up at the same time like I was tired and fired up at the same time and it's no different now except I'm just more tired right like I, I I'm that much more tired and we've seen the videos and we've seen the protests and we've seen the images and and it seems to not really do anything to deter what has been happening. And so I just wanted to start today's by just acknowledging that it is still happening. Like sure, there have been little progresses here and there and like little little wins, which like I'm never gonna like, you know, demote a win. Like a win is a win, no matter how big or small, but there are bigger losses that are continuing to take place. So while we won, you know, here or there in this state or with this little bill, like there are still really big losses and the, the biggest loss is the loss of life. And so I just, I never wanna act like like, you know, what we're talking about is more important than the fact that people are still being treated as less than um, by the people that are sworn to protect them. Uh, so, yeah, uh, white people. Uh, 
before I introduce these people or rather they introduce themselves, let it be known that this is not a Q&A. Okay, that this is not a Q&A. This is not where you hop in the chat and ask all of your burning questions. Uh, the black people that you see before you do not represent all black people in the world. They represent their own personal experiences and perspectives. But what links us and what unites us is the color of our skin in a white world. And last but not least, it is not our job to educate anybody. Yet this conversation will be educational. I repeat, it is not our job to educate anybody, yet this conversation will be educational. For your discomfort is education through observation of conversation. All the zizations, and I love it. Uh, it's smooth, it's smooth, it's smooth. It's okay for it to be smooth, because uh, I want you to remember it. Um, again, I am Bryce Michael Wood. I say my full name simply to let you know my initials are BMW, and I'm proud of it. Uh, and so without further ado, part 19, let us start things with introductions hey what's up guys i am jade i am a soul cycle instructor here in socal i am from dallas texas so shout out to my texas if anyone's from texas on here um i'm also a mom to a beautiful baby boy who is nine going on 35 and i'm so excited to be here so we're happy to have you. Uh, I've been, I reached out to Jay like a really, really long time ago. And I was like, you know, I've been waiting for the perfect uh, moment. And this, this was it. So I'm happy to have Jade here. Uh, Tara, Tara, tell them who you are, what you do, where you from. What's up? Hi, y'all. I'm Tara Bethune. I'm native New Yorker from the Bronx, New York based still. I am a full-time marketer. I work in subscriptions marketing for a media company and I am a part-time not even part-time. I feel like these days it's like 50-50. <laughs> I'm also a group fitness instructor, obviously virtually now, focused mainly on Pilates. And then my passion project right now is my new, uh, it's not new, it's been around for a few months. It's a fundraising workout series called Move for the Movement. I do monthly donation-based classes to raise money for organizations that support the Black community. So since June, I've raised about $6,500. We're going to keep going. Yeah. And Every single month, and we're gonna expand. And yeah, I'm I do it for the culture, so Come I'm on. really happy to be here. Shouts out to Tara continuing to do it for the culture. I reached out to her like months ago, like in the <laughs> beginning, and, and I'm serious. Like uh, I, I've also just been waiting to for the sort of the perfect uh, slot and the perfect group of people to have you add to the conversation with. And last, but certainly not least, uh, Jordan. Hunter, aka Boogie the Beast, on all of the social media. Uh, I've known this guy for 15, I don't know, like I'm gonna say 15 years for right now. That's quick maths for you. I've known him for 15 years. He's from my hometown, but I'm gonna let him introduce himself. Jordan, tell him who you are, what you do, where you're from. Say what's up. Man, I appreciate it. You could have kept the gas going. You pretty much were about to hit it right on the spot. Um, you know, <laughs> good morning from the West Coast, everybody. Uh, coming live from Los Angeles. Like Bryce said, originally from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, we have known each other since 2007, but um, I got out of the uh, United States Navy after being a six-year search and rescue swimmer, uh, came out to LA and got full-time into acting, and I also do aquatic fitness where I teach kids, adults, and anybody who wants to learn how to swim, um, putting them through fitness workouts and also through therapy um, because water survival and water safety is very important, and also I just launched my passion project, uh, The Say It Loud Legacy under my <clears throat> umbrella academy of say it loud 
and it's a triathlon team for African-Americans. And uh, we'll get into a little bit about, you know, what's that to come and why that's so important to me about getting more and more people who look like me into sports where we don't really see them. Come on, come on. Shouts out to Jordan. Like he, you look, I'm not going to like give all the smoke, but like you're a beast. Like just know he like pulled when I was in Phoenix during like the first part of quarantine, he pulled up and they had been like doing these runs and like everybody was connected on the app. And like, you know, back in the day, like I was, you know, not, I was the athletic one. You know what I'm saying? Like I was the in all the sports, killing it. Like you know what I'm saying? And he and my a couple of my other friends had just been running, right? And I I had not had not been doing that. Uh, and he's like, "Yo, I'm in town." I'm like, "Yo, let me pull up to a run. Like I want to run, right?" And then we do it, and this man ends up running four miles or something crazy. And I'm like, "Bro, what?" And like like fine, like he's totally fine. Uh, but uh, that had nothing to do with anything. I just look, you hurt me. Uh, I just want to say it here on the podcast, like I was hurt after that. Um, and speaking of being hurt, uh, right back to what we're talking about, like black people uh, were, were hurt a lot and it's not just physical and it's not just mental. A lot of times it's emotional as well. And uh, I'd love for Tara to talk about this first topic. I don't even want to, I don't even want to give a title to it because I, I loved how you phrased it. Okay. Um, you know, when we, all got together and you know discussed this episode before coming on you know in thinking about the things that I wanted to address um, I think that one thing that it's kind of an ongoing theme something that I've kind of had to reiterate to a few people in different instances instances is that this season we're gonna call it a season it's a long season it's damn near a year but like <laughs> and, and longer than that but like this season has been super uncomfortable for Black people to navigate as well. Um, I'm, I know that this has all been kind of, in a way, like earth shattering and, you know, it's upended a lot of what people have come to know about, non-Black people have come to know about themselves. I know a lot of non-Black folks have had to really look at themselves in the mirror and think about how their behaviors have contributed to the ongoing, you know, presence of systemic racism. But never in my life did I ever think that I would be having so many conversations about what, about my Blackness, about being Black in America and about my Black experience. And the reality of the situation is, not all of my experience has been great. I've had to live through things that have been traumatic. And at the time, I didn't even know they were traumatic. You know, there are things that I've had to suppress over the years that kind of came to the surface, especially after George Floyd uh, was murdered. And, you know, we were all sitting at home and we were inundated with these conversations and with the news. And because of that, like, I'm not always in the best place to answer your questions, to have the conversation, because I'm working through my own personal trauma as well. And I feel pretty secure in saying that like, a lot of black people could, other black people could relate to what I'm saying as well. Like right. everybody's dealing with their black experience and navigating this season. And so I'm not saying don't ask your black friends the questions sure. that you wanna ask. I'm not saying don't have the conversation because I absolutely feel like we need to have these conversations and they need to be ongoing. But the same way that you would want us to have grace and understanding when you make a misstep, we sometimes are gonna show up imperfectly. You might catch me on a wrong day. You know, You might catch me on a day where I just don't wanna talk. I'm a right. whole human and I don't, I don't 
I can't, I can't show up perfectly a hundred percent of the time. Right. And I might be a little dismissive. I might, I might not want to talk about it that day. It's, it's heavy, you know, but please understand that that has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me and processing all of this, because this is uncomfortable for me and yeah. all my, you know, and the black community yeah. as well. I think something that uh, I completely agree. And I think something that you started to touch on and like you had it like in a sentence, it was just like, we're uncomfortable too. Um, like, I know this is called for your discomfort. And like, I'm out here like white people, like calling all the white people out like daily. And like, I'm never going to stop. Right. But just as uncomfortable as it may be for you to sit and listen to some of the systems and some of the practices that you've participated in that have led to an ongoing oppressive system um, and how that can be uncomfortable. Um, realize that it is also uncomfortable for Black people to have to continue to drudge up their own trauma and have to navigate their own trauma in order to then be able to relay it to you in a way that is understood and that can hopefully, I don't know, you know, be earth shattering and like help, you know, whatever you're, you're trying to learn. So I, the heart of what you were saying, Tara, is like, we're, we're uncomfortable too. Like, this is not just like a all right, white people, now it's time to shut up and listen. And like, you just get oh, to be right. uncomfortable. It's like, I'm black every day. Like, it's been it's literally uncomfortable. every day. I'm, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's uncomfortable. Being black in America is uncomfortable, okay? Yeah, but no, like, <laughs> to, to have to kind of judge up our black experience, because generally it's, you know, you want to know about, the, I, I can only speak for myself, but generally when I get these questions, people want to know about the negative things that I've yeah. experienced. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. I could just be minding my business having a really good or really chill day. And then somebody's like, hey, Tara, like literally this happened to me at work, like regular schmegular day. And the day that the news broke about Jacob Blake, you know, I actually had already had my one-on-one -on -one with my like boss, kind of my boss's boss. But then at the end of the day, after work, 7 p.m., I get a Slack message. And it was really sweet. Like he was just like, you know, I'm sorry I didn't address it earlier. I'm just checking in to make sure that you're okay. And I'm here to let you know that if you need anything, if you want to talk about it, if you need to take some time, take some time. But guys, I was minding my whole business on a Tuesday at 7 p.m like decompressing for the day and he wanted to talk about Jacob Blake and I was like uh I'm not ready for this <laughs> I was like I'm just I'm not in that headspace right. I think um that's that definitely speaks to uh a lot of what's been happening in this season of like people jumping to it uh specifically non-black people uh jumping to the you know to the front like hey I'm here I was good hey, I'm a real one, uh, woke all the way, and I'm checking in, and, like, I, I want to let you know, you know, A, B, and C, and not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but, but then don't, don't take offense if, you know, if said Black person is not in the headspace to do that with you, you know what I mean? Understand that it is work. Understand that this is compounded, like, James, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, talked about Black people having compounded trauma, and like this season alone, we're seeing so much. It's like one thing after another thing after another thing. And the, even images I saw this morning that I had to just be like, all right, well, I guess I have part 19 today. And I saw that, you know what I mean? Like, cool. Just another thing that reminds me that, uh, you know, I'm not safe here. And that's not necessarily a space I want to revisit. <laughs> um, just day. so that you feel like you worked through something with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just so you feel like I was a real one. 
for Tara. I was a real one for Jordan. I was a real one for Jade or Bryce. Like I asked them the hard questions and I sat there with them and we cried. And like that moment may happen, you know what I mean? And like, great, but if it doesn't, don't feel like, you know, don't feel defeated. Just feel like this is a whole ass human being that you're talking to that is also processing. We're not machines that can just like spew out like our deepest, darkest, dirtiest. I'm like, yeah, you know, I was crossing the street in the third grade and someone called me the N-word with the hard R and like, yeah, I've been scarred for a Like nobody wants to just do that all the time. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, sometimes I just want to just be, maybe like just saying, you know, you're thinking about me, praying for me is enough. Maybe we don't have to dig for like that real. Maybe you don't have to be my therapist. And if yeah. I don't want to dig right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that I don't want to dig with you in two days or tomorrow or di sure. a different time. It just means that like right now in this moment, for whatever reason, I can't do it as, as yeah. a human. I just yeah. cannot do it. And don't take offense to that. It's not about you at that point. It's about, you know, me and what I'm going through in that day and now. And it's about self-preservation at the end of the day. We all do it. You know what I mean? Every human being and animals as well, like there's a, an instinct or a survival instinct that we all have. And so if we haven't been able to process through something like, at, and, and we don't want to yet, it's about preserving like whatever feeling we were in. It's about self-preservation and, and, and continuing on in the spirit of self-preservation and preservation and general preservation of Black life. Uh, I want to transition over to Jade and uh, hear from your perspective as the mother of a Black son and what those talks are like and, you know, the attempts at preservation have been. So my experience as a Black mother, first of all, just being a mom in general, I became a mom at 22. So that alone is something that I was also tackling, like just being young and then also having to put on this mom hat and then raise a whole human. So you have the normal fears of being a parent and, and am I doing okay? Am I doing all right? And then on top of that, you have, oh shit, Oh, wait, can I say that? I don't know. <laughs> you can say whatever you want to say. Um, you say <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, my son's not listening. Um, you say like, oh shit, now there's this extra layer of being Black. So now I have to have, if anyone watches Blackish, because we know white people love Blackish, the talk, <laughs> um, they had a whole episode on it. Um, we all have to have that talk with our kid. And the part that I did not get growing up was that your black is beautiful, your black, you know, my parents just set me up coming from a place of fear to succeed, right? We're gonna put you in this school, we're gonna make sure your name's this, we're gonna make sure you're this, da da da, set you up for success. Now, I, now as a parent, I get to add on to not only setting my son up, but also your black is beautiful, you're beautiful, you're strong. You know, what's that saying on the help? Like you, he was kind, you, yeah. Like my mom says that to us <laughs> all the time. Like that whole say, like saying like, but like we, we realize that our kids need to hear that they are beautiful. And then in the same breath, when, with telling them how amazing they are, we also have to say, but if you get pulled over, you're 10 and two, you turn on your phone, yes or no, sir, you tell every movement you're about to make, don't make sudden movements. Oh, and by the way, you have no rights. You have zero rights when you walk outside of this house, just so that I can see your face come back in this house whenever it's curfew. 
And that's the hard part about being a black mother is because you hold your breath every time your child leaves. Like it, it's crazy because even when I dropped my son off at school, when there was school, I would wait and watch him walk in the door to make sure like no one messed with him. And when I right. was teaching, he started off at my, at my elementary school. So like I got the upper hand of being like, no one's going to mess with my kid. Right. And right. because like I taught older grades, my kids looked out, my students looked out for him because like I made it known, like that's Miss Thurman's son. You don't mess with him. Right. But like the one year that I decided to step away from teaching, he got bullied kids, you know, stepped on the back of his, his shoes. And it's like those things, like just the normal things about being a parent. And then on top, he's, he's got a battle being black. And yeah. so I don't have the answers as far as what we do to move forward. Sure. Other than continue to tell our kids, like you stand in who you are but then at the same time, it's like, hey, you're seen over here by your family, but in the world, you have to be seen. You know, yeah. take your hoodie off. If you're yeah. a white woman, you know, like smile, look, look pleasant so you don't come across as threatening. But and it's like, but if it, and I heard what Mike Press say on one of the episodes, what is it, episode six? He was like, well, if it's raining outside and I got a hoodie on, now I got to choose my comfort over your comfort. And I think, mm -hmm. that, I think that resonated with me because it was like, yeah, like if it's raining, now I have to take my hoodie off so that I look less threatening. Our kids right. don't get to go to the convenience How? store. Oh, yeah. yeah, our kids get to How? go to the convenience store, eat Skittles, have a hoodie on, go home because he doesn't make it home. Our kid, kids can't grow up and sell cigarettes. Our kids can't get pulled over for a, a natural traffic stop and then get a knee on his neck for eight minutes. Like, our, our kids grow up to be men and those kids that are so cute when they're kids become threatening because of what society says black men are because exactly. of what the nation put out about this is this is the devil and this and the kkk is is the the savior these are the images that are continuously being portrayed about black men and black men aren't seen as heroes until black panther came out and our little boys what in 2018 Ooh. i don't any black boy that was not a black panther for halloween including my son because they got to see a representation of strength of beautiful of heroic of what their moms and dads are telling them what they are proudly they get to yeah. see that and they get to go be that on this fictitious holiday but they cannot be that in real life because society says you're threatening Jay. you're not Black Panther. Jay, first off, all of it, all of the things. Yes, Jordan's doing the snaps. First off, you snapped off. You said so many different things. And before I move on, I want to pull out like three. First thing, the thing that Mike Press said that was so, uh, uh, what's the word, enlightening was he was like, when I, if I'm walking down the street in a hoodie and you see me, all you see is a black man in the hoodie, but you forget it's raining. And that's yeah. like how he how he said it's like oh but you forget it's raining outside and that's why my hood's on mm -hmm. like all you saw was like a black dude hoodie so like shouts out to that you referencing that because that's a real thing mm -hmm. um secondly i think something that is is paramount um before we move forward is this idea that 
you know, as, as parents and specifically as a black parent, you want to reinforce your child and make them know and let them know that, you know, black is beautiful, black is strong, black is smart, black is, you know, creative, like the best thing in the world, but then at the same time have to like then strip them of that strength once they walk into the real world. And I really want to paint a picture for anyone listening that isn't black, that hasn't had that experience of what that can just do to someone's like psyche mentally of being like, I am the best. I am these things. I am empowered leaving your house. And then having that stripped instantly when, you know, confronted with authority or even seeing an authoritative figure like down the street and like your whole, everything changes because it's about survival at that point. And then lastly, out of what you said, um, at, from the perspective of you being a parent, like that's traumatizing. And that's something you talked about, that that's traumatic to have to tell your child that they are the most beautiful, most special, most you can do anything in the world except have your rights. Um, like that's, it's hard to do that flip-flop. That's hard for anybody. Like if you just think about trying to do that, uh, telling someone they're the best, except when you walk outside. Yep. <laughs> except, but like, no, like you, love you best thing i've ever done best person in the world but not to them and you just have to know that you're the best but when you're confronted with them you gotta you know tone all that bestness down because like your best can ultimately be your last breath and like that's not okay you know that's that's not what we want um and then you talked about uh exactly what we're about to transition into with jordan which come on set up jay through a whole alley um you just having a black son and having a black boy in the in the dangers of like around like 12 13 as we start to something happens and now we're black men just in stature just in build just in like the bass and the voice like all of that and i and i want jordan to to hop in and talk about uh you say it i don't want to say it you say it you say what you about to talk about black masculinity um and, and i really really am, am thankful that i had a, a double alley-oop uh, from full court, from Tara, Jay, Jay threw it from uh, the three-point line. But, uh, you know, this is a really, really big thing, uh, first and foremost, because I'm an only child. Um, so, you know, the things that Jade is saying about her son, whether she decides to have more children or not, that's, you know, seeing it from this side for me now, like, that's what my mom had to go through. Um, and that's what my mom had to teach me. And the yes ma'ams and the no ma'ams uh, that my mom and dad, you know, instilled into me. And, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to go backwards a little bit. Like my, my father's father, my grandfather was a fourth grade dropout, moved from Georgia to New York in the fourth grade, or excuse me, yeah, I dropped out of fourth grade, worked until like seventh grade, moved with my grandmother and they got married and started hustling to get it going. And then my father was one of 13. Um, so when you talk about what strength is, and when you talk about not having time to grow up and establish emotions, it was about going and getting it. Um, and so, you know, going into my father, my father uh, joined the Marines. And then after uh, getting out of the Marines, went and became a cop. So, and then there was me. Um, yeah. So when you talk about time to be emotional, I don't really think I've ever had that time growing up. Um, because my father went through, oh yeah, my father was born in 1940. So just putting that out there too. Um, when it comes to my, my dad really, really gave a lot um, to make sure that whatever was going to come in the future was going to be taken care of. 
um, and especially during those times of black masculinity and not have, like he couldn't show the alpha male that he wanted to all the time, but he had to be strong. He couldn't talk back because that was considered, you know, uh, disrespectful and, you know, you can, you can be killed for that. Um, and so a lot of the times, you know, we're not taught how to become vulnerable. Um, we're not taught how to express emotions because the moment you do that, now you're considered soft, you're considered weak, you're considered less of. Um, and, you know, I think right now, especially uh, with all the protests and things like that, you know, at least for me, once again, it's like, I want to go out and I want to, I want to express my emotions. I want to get in the, the faces of cops. I want to get in the politicians. I want to, I want to know more and all this, but the moment I do too much masculinity, now I'm considered a threat. Yeah. And now there's a gun pointed at my face. Now there's tear gas, you know, being launched at us. And now there's this, we're, we're peacefully protesting things and we're still getting aggressive returns. So it also becomes where it, it becomes a fear um, of, I don't want to go out there because I don't want to, I don't want to end up like blank. I don't want to. And, and that's, that becomes this, this, this struggle on the inner, on the inside. Um, and vicarious trauma actually becomes a thing where every single time I pick up my phone, you know, if it's not me out there, you know, I have to see it from somewhere else. I have to, I want to be out there doing things, but at the same time, you know, I have to pick and choose. I, you know, I have jobs. When I was in the, I was in the military, we didn't have, we couldn't protest. So you, you want to talk about being strong at work, being the only black person in my job um, as a swimmer, uh, you know, like there, there was no time to, to be sad or, or be hurt at work because the moment you did, you know, you can, you're a pussy, you're, you're this, you're that. Are you sure you don't want to go hang yeah. out with them, you know, instead, you know, and that becomes a really strong thing. And then, I mean, there, yeah, there, there's a lot that goes into that part. And then, you know, it just becomes this rinse cycle and repeat almost emotions of, you know, every single time we get done dealing with, you know, like Tara said, like, we got done with the whole day, you know, like grieving from the inside, getting our work done, being the strong black female, being the strong black male at work, you know, just having that role thrown on us because we're a one of, you know, we're a one of at work or wherever we're at. And then all of a sudden it just gets hit with the repeat cycle, you know, and now yeah. we have to do it all over again the next day or, or one week to the next week, you know, it becomes this, we're feeling it over and over again. Yeah. There's no time to grieve. And, you know, even black masks, like I said, it falls over to the women because a lot of women, thanks Siri, uh, a lot of the women, uh, you know, have to go through it as single mothers, um, yeah. you know, or just care providers and they have to become the strong woman and a strong example of what it is to be a strong young boy to a strong young man. And so I couldn't imagine what it's, you know, when you see these mothers getting up at the protests or, you know, speaking on behalf of their, their, yes. their murdered son or daughter, and they're telling people, please don't riot. Please peacefully protest. You know, and that you want to talk about strength. You want to talk about, you want um, to talk about talking in, in public. You know, like we need you to go out and make a statement. I'm not ready yeah. to make a statement. But the city of blank wants you to make a statement. And then never seeing justice. You know, I'm it, telling yeah. you, I'm telling you, okay, so many things, so many things. Okay. Um, I'm gonna start where you finish. So um, Dion, Dion Johnson, uh, was killed in Phoenix, Arizona, the same day that George Floyd was, nobody really heard about it, but Arizona knew. Um, and I was at a rally that my mom put together and I was going to speak and I, and I knew what I was going to say. Um, and then like my mom just on a whim was like, actually is Dion's mom here. Right. And so then she calls Dion's mom up and like, 
I had never been that close to that, that like a, a mom that had lost a son to uh, a police shooting. Uh, Deion Johnson was shot. He was asleep in his car. Uh, he, he maybe had had too much to drink or something. He pulled off to the side of the road and was asleep. Uh, then the cops knocked on his door. However, many hours later of him being asleep, said he reached for something, shot him, killed him. Uh, they blocked off the road. The paramedics were there, but they couldn't get through because the, ro the road was blocked off and he, he bled out in the street. And um, I remember being on the stage with my mom as Dion's mom was talking and like, exactly what Jordan's saying like she was like please don't you know riot like don't make it worse we just really want to be able to grieve and we want justice for our son and that like broke me like even thinking about it right now like the, I I had never been near that before near near a mom that's gone through that and uh, it changed the whole trajectory of what I said to them and like I went off right like white people to the nth degree um so I just want to like like that's a real thing that moms are asked to do. And I don't think that people think about it when they're watching it on the news, when they're watching like someone's mom give a statement, like th they're asked to do that uh, by the state or the city or whatever it's set to put a, you know, to humanize this this son where he should have already been humanized because he's, he's a human. Um, but back to black masculinity, um, something I, I really wanted to make sure we pulled out of that section um, is this idea that black men are taught to be strong all the time. Um, and it is reinforced through stereotypes, it is reinforced in the media, and it oftentimes can become a caricature. Um, and through that caricature, like black men learn that like, this is how I'm supposed to be all the time. I'm not allowed to have feelings because if I have feelings, then I'm less than, and then I won't be taken seriously. If I'm not taken seriously, then I won't be respected. And respect is hard to come by as a black man in this world. So as long as I'm respected within my community, by being as hardcore as I can be, then I'm good. But the moment my, my pride and my ego and anything is like called into question, I have an issue because that's all I have. Right. And uh, that in and of itself, like black masculinity is so, and, and de uh, uh, um, oh God, uh, my boy talked about it last two weeks ago, toxic masculinity, and we just need to dismantle it in general because the reason you have people blowing up is because they're taught that they can't have emotions. So then it just bubbles up, right? It's like, it's like a bomb. It's like uh, you shaking up, uh, shaking a up whole, a soda, yeah, yep. shaking up a soda, but keeping the cap on and just like not acknowledging anything. And then lastly, what you had said yesterday, which is which is very connects to what Tara was talking about earlier, is we're not really given ample time to grieve all of the atrocities that we experience weekly, specifically as black men, but then are expected to continue to move how we move. And that's by white people that have the expectation of like what it is to be a heterosexual uh, black man. That's even of white women, black women, women in general, and their expectations of what it is to be a black man in America that is like a straight black man. Like there are expectations that are set up that we're trying to live up to from from everywhere to make sure that like nobody's coming for us right like if i have nothing else i have my like my pride if i have nothing else i, I i'm at least respected enough and so we don't give ourselves room to feel emotion and and you know i'll forever be grateful for going into acting because that training gave me access to a side of myself that i've never experienced um, even, even in yoga classes or even in soul cycle, like it, it gave me access to a side of myself that I was never allowed to, 
to really explore that I was never allowed to publicly express without being ridiculed, without having my whole identity called into question because I decided to feel today. You know what I mean? And so like, that's just black masculinity, yes, but just toxic masculinity in general. You gotta be done with it. Um, but but uh, bro, you throwing alleys all day. Everybody's giving alley-oops. I love this, this group of people talking. We all point guards. <laughs> Speaking of strong black men and strong black women, Tara, let's please delve into the strong black woman trope. I have so many notes on this. But <laughs> I was like, we could do a whole hour simply on this. Um, let me start off by saying the strong black woman trope or identity persona, it's problematic. And it's problematic for several reasons. Um, but I will start by saying, while it's a compliment, um, it promotes this perception of unwavering strength, um, which kind of simultaneously dismisses the presence of pain and struggle that Black women go through. You know, like when you call it strong and resistant, resilient, sorry, it just, and, and, and that's like an overarching um, description of us, I feel like we hear that quite often. It's, it dismisses literally every other part of us. You know Please. what I'm saying? <laughs> um, on one hand, the strong black woman trope is an honor because it is an acknowledgement of the black woman's ability to not only survive, but also thrive after enduring mm. so many challenges and atrocities. But at the same time, it negates very real pain um, that we experience. And what I feel like what people don't realize is I am strong, you know, I am powerful and I wear that label proudly, but I'm strong because I've always felt like I've had to be. I grew up learning and knowing that as a black woman, I'm gonna face a tremendous amount of adversity, you know, patriarchy, racism, very real. Both things that I have to face every day and work through every day. And I knew that I would have to have a, a strong work ethic and I'd have to figure out a way to persevere no matter what. And I think that stems back from like, we were talking about black mothers having to raise their kids like, and be sometimes the head of households or even if there is another head of household, really like holding down the fort and keeping mm -hmm. the family unit together, keeping the family, the, the community together, being pillars of the community. Um, I feel like I've always known that I've had to be strong but oftentimes that means like internalizing the hurt and frustration that I've had, which can harm my mental, my emotional, and even like my physical health. Um, yeah. Black women go to work emotional sometimes, sometimes in physical pain. You know, we, you, we, we, people say this all the time. You don't know what somebody's going through. And, yeah. you know, we keep smiling. I will, I'm fine you to death. I will, I got you to death. I got it to death. I'm, I'm the queen of I'm fine, but like sometimes I'm really not fine. Sometimes I go home exhausted. Sometimes I go home and I have no problem saying this now, honey. I've like, these past six months, I've broken down so many times. Like I, sometimes I'm home and I just, I get so overwhelmed by everything that I just, I allow myself that moment, but best believe that moment quickly passes and I pick myself back up and I go back to doing what I have to do and I getting things done because yeah. we ha I feel like I have to get it you done. You have to, because you feel like you, you know? have to. 
Yeah, I feel like uh, something that is is huge in what you just said, as as far as the strong black woman trope is concerned, and something that I want to highlight and make sure that we don't speed past, is that this identity uh, has been has been uh, assigned. And like that, those were your words. Like you said, this identity has been assigned. And I, I really want to paint that picture clearly for my white people listening right now, because the the more you continue to say, just even say the phrase angry black woman continues to assign that to black women. The more you continue to, we just as society continue to say the phrase strong black women, and then have an image associated with what that looks like will continue to assign that identity to black women. So a woman, a black woman can walk into their job and disagree with you and all of a sudden she's angry. All of a sudden she's being really strong right now because she simply disagreed with you, which everybody has the right to disagree. But but when it's a black woman, it's like, well, I don't, I don't know what happened. I, I said this and then she went off and it's like, she didn't go off. I don't know why it is being perceived as going off. Right. She simply said, I disagree. I she don't want to do that. She has an opinion. She yeah. stood up for herself like right. you would. So why does that make me angry? Why does that make me, you know, sometimes, again, strong, powerful, resilient. These are awesome adjectives, complimentary. However, they're also in the context of Black women aligned with other adjectives and descriptions that aren't as nice, you know, strong, also aggressive. Mm. Also, sometimes like a lot, you know, people don't want to mm. say aggressive, so that she's a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just enough, actually. I'm not a lot. Like, I'm, I'm about as much as you are. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, let's not, <laughs> let's not do that. And it's, it's so frustrating to be pigeonholed into narrow paradigms of what people expect from Black women. I am multifaceted. I am a whole ass human being. I feel a range of emotions, just as you do, just as you have the liberty to do. So just as you can get angry, I can get angry. Just as you can be sad, I can be sad. I'm silly as hell when I wanna be. I'm joyous when I wanna be. And so I just don't understand why, well, I mean, I, we, it's, a, it's a never ending, it's a cycle, right? It's a cycle. We're strong because we feel like we have to be. So people expect yeah. it. And now it's an expectation. But because of this expectation, Black women deprioritize, often deprioritize their mental and emotional well-being to get yes. things done or to make other Absolutely. people feel comfortable. And yeah. so it's, it needs to be, just like almost everything in our society needs to be dismantled, this, this trope, this persona, this identity, it needs to go. It's a problem. It's done. It's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem. It's a problem. And we done. And Sarah, thanks for like actually just breaking it all the way down um, because it needed to be broken down the way you did. Something like we, we, I, I, we gotta go. We gotta go. But I could, I could, I could. Mm? I yeah, want to do you. this <laughs> for a long time. But, but staying sort of in this lane of, you know, the black woman trope, I, I wanted to uh pass it off to jade and and speak to your experience as a black woman uh in education as you were a teacher i was a teacher i was a teacher for almost four years at a predominantly white elementary school and i've i thought about like 
do I want to say the elementary school? Because I was like, ah, you know, that's, that's, but I don't work there anymore and I'm not a teacher and nor do I live in Dallas. So here we go. I worked at White Rock Elementary in Richardson, Texas, and I was the on. only black teacher. So speaking to what Tara said, when they say like, oh, you're, you're a lot. Well, I got, I'm extra, right? Well, <sighs> And I, I typically always get that because I talk with my hands. I'm very animated. Um, but at this particular school, I felt like I met a quota. I student taught there and then I got a job. So before I even got the job, parents sent some of my teacher friends that I had made through student teaching pictures of what they thought was me from Facebook asking, was this was this her? is this her is she going to be the one teaching our kids and it was a black woman in the mirror taking a picture with a tank top on and her undergarments and instead of coming to meet the teacher on the first day they wanted to ask is this her is this the black woman that's going to be teaching our kids so with that in mind i went and i didn't realize when bryce and i were talking about this yesterday how much healing I have not done. I, when my last day of teaching in 2019, I ran so far from that school and I was like, I will never look back. My degree is in child development with a certification in education. So you can go so many different avenues with that degree in general. But I went and I did some researching. I asked my girl who's a teacher in Austin, what is your experience as a black woman teacher, female teacher? because we cannot speak for, for male teachers. And her response was a lot aligned with mine, it, parents. That's kind of what resonated with me and her is either the lack there, the support, the lack of the support or too much or, or like from jump, they already categorized me. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's not, adequate enough to teach our kids. And if she is, let's test her. I went and, and did some research and I found that in 19, for the school year of 1988 and school year of 1989, 87% of teachers were white. Fast forward to 2011, 2012, 82% of teachers are white. So that's a 23 year gap where our classrooms of students are changing to more diversity and yet our teachers are still white. The kids do not see teachers who look like them. And when they yeah. do, when they do, they're put into their classrooms more. So I had the most black kids in my homeroom every single year because they felt like, oh, well, they'll be able to connect with them, connect with her. I mean, okay, but then hire more black teachers and then they would be able to connect with all of us. But that's not right. the case. Instead, they'll sit in meetings and berate and belittle. And when you don't have a principal who does not back you, that becomes the problem. When you are sitting across from a parent who snaps their finger at you and tells you, Thurman, are you listening? When you are showing your partner uh, where they where we are in the meeting because she's new that's a problem when you are caught when your kid doesn't make a certain grade it becomes my problem when you go on Facebook call me outside of my name 
because I gave your kid extra credit, but you had a week to finish because you were pissed about it. That's a problem. When, when asked why aren't there more black teachers, we don't feel seen, we don't feel supported. We are the minority in these predominantly white schools when we could be equal, where we're not asking as black people and as, as black people in jobs, we're not asking to be on some higher than shit. We're asking to a place at the table. That's what we're asking. Yeah, yeah. Respect me because I went to college for this degree. Respect me because you did not. And if you thought you could do better, <laughs> then you do it. And as sure as God, Allah, universe, whatever you want to call it, is here you are. So I hope those those meetings that we had when you walked into my room, where I'm the CEO of my room, and you berated me and told me I didn't know what I'm doing. I hope now you understand and you hear my voice ringing in the back of your ears when you've got to teach your kid because we're in a goddamn pandemic. <laughs> so, here we okay. are. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, it, 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 it's personal for no, me. This and is it, and it should be. Wait, 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 wait. You were disrespected so many times and it shouldn't happen and you shouldn't have had to be okay with that. And I'm sorry that you're just now starting to process that and starting to just now sort of uh, un unravel all of right. the things. Um, right. what, what I wanna pull out for sure before you hop back in is this idea that you felt isolated at your own school as a teacher, that even the, the teachers around you and even your principal didn't seem to have your back when parents felt that they had the, white parents felt that they had the authority to tell you how to and what to do in your room and then have the audacity to undermine your intelligence when you have the degree. Like when you said that, like I'm certified, not you. It's like, I mean, there it is. There's the thing. Like you don't go to your personal trainer, like actually Steven, um, I, I'm pretty sure I need to do Thank three you. by five burpees and not three by six. No, because I know I know my body. Right. I mean, if, if, if one of your writers in Soul Cycle came up to you and was like, "Actually, this this elbow drop right here, you know, it, it doesn't really." I, I'm sorry. I thought I went through training three months of this training to make sure that I am well equipped to be in front of you to do my job. So let me do my job. But that's just it. As Black women, we are not allowed to do our job without being, what is the word? Dictated to. Dictated to. We got to give a diet Told. of who we are. We can't Told. walk in there with cornrows and nails and we got to cut our nails, wear our hair straight. Yes, Karen. <laughs> no, no. I don't want to laugh at your jokes. They're not funny. And, and if I don't laugh, it's like, oh, she's hostile. You know, she has an attitude. She has an attitude. Okay. See, I think you just dropped it off at the table and I'm going to just let it. I, there's I, I, uh, nothing to add. Nothing to add. I agree. Yes. Amen. Um, the, the transition here will be unconventional. See what I did? Jordan, go ahead. Man, you're really good at this. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to pick it up right where he dropped it off. And, uh, we're going to talk about unconventional sports and representation, kind of like what I was talking about earlier. Um, so obviously there are a lot of unconventional sports, lacrosse, golf, tennis, um, the bigger sports that don't always necessarily get the highest part of representation, but I'm going to talk about my bread and butter, my love, and that's swimming. 
Um, pretty much all my life, I was blessed with the opportunity to learn how to swim at a very, very young age. My parents made sure of that. Neither one of my parents can actually swim. And so my mom was like, somebody in this family is going to learn how to swim. <laughs> and, uh, I, I use that as a piece of my testimony because that is actually what, you know, pays to get this roof over my head right now. And it's taking me across the world. Um, because when I was leaving, when I was in high school, um, I thought I was pretty nice. You know, I kept my four-year varsity seat, you know. And uh, when it came time to start getting scouting letters, there was none. Um, it is very hard to get representation into the swimming world when your school isn't known or ever gets represented or even gets looked at for swimming. And so on top of that, there aren't really many and a lot of funding towards swimming and everybody loves a good statistic. So I thought I would look one up for everybody oh, no. real quick. Oh, no. um, and talking about the huge lack of black representation within swimming. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, out of 3,771 Division I swimmers in 2019, 72 of them were black. That is 2%. And just to give you a bigger perspective, 498,000 students were student athletes in 2019. 81,096 of those were black, which is about 16%. And then on top of that, if you don't want to be the athlete and talking about representation, let's talk about athletic directors. 1,113 athletic directors in Division I sports and 115 of them are black. So when you talk about getting representation into a sport or even just, hey, let's, let's, let's get more funding towards putting in more kids into this sport. We don't have that. We don't have people, you know, like, hey, did you guys go check the inner city? Hey, did you guys go look at, you know, uh, this, this district, this region? And it's like, well, no, because, you know, unless you're going to the bigger invites for Nike or you're going to the club events where you have to have the money to get into. And a lot of times you have to have the, the transportation because why, why would there be a bus that comes and picks you up from your inner city to take you to the outside? Um, and especially doing this right now, like, you know, obviously with COVID, everything shut down. But out here in Los Angeles right now, I live in Inglewood, um, which is a little bit um, into the South Bay or South Central area. And, uh, you know, all of our pools happen to be closed right now. Um, but if you drive a little bit north, you know, not giving out any places, Culver City, you know, where all of your studios are and a little bit more uh, economically um, blessed people might live. Um, Hollywood, Pasadena and all these places, their pools happen to be open. And so you look at it and it's like, well, if they're able to swim and they have access, why don't we? And this is where it becomes the, um, I guess you could say systematic, almost like, like uh, the pull-in because we pull in, no pun intended, but like we're unable to have access to pools. And if you're a parent and your kid doesn't know how to swim, you don't want to put them into swimming. So now that becomes a generational curse. Because if you never had the ability to swim and you never had the chance to learn how to do something, why would you ever do that? And, uh, you know, that just becomes oppressive, you know, and it's a oppressive system. And uh, another crazy statistic I looked up is there's 3,500 drownings on average every year. And African-American children from the ages of 5 to 14 are three times more uh, susceptible to be drowned or drowned, excuse me, <clears throat> than white children are. Um, and once again, that's just because of access to a pool. That's, uh, you know, just having the knowledge or even a parent being CPR trained, which is another huge yeah. thing. Once again, if you don't have the time to get into it, 
you can't have it. And so, you know, it's, it was hard enough being recruited. Like I said, out of high school, there's only one historically black college in the United States that has a swim team still, and that's Howard University. Um, and so as a black kid wanting to go to a black school, all black school, um, not only to further my education and learn who I am and, and do things like that, I to swim and they're not giving you a scholarship because they never saw you swim. And so, you know, because it's not basketball or football, yeah, tolerant. But like I said, in my testimony, I'm thankful because I joined the Navy as a search and rescue swimmer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it took me all over the world. And now at 28 years old, I teach people to swim. I teach kids, I teach adults, and I'm a swim coach. Um, and now I do triathlons. My guy. First off, and he just completed one and was like, I saw you cross the finish line in the video and it was lit and I was proud. Tired. I clapped. I clapped from my phone. I was like, oh my God. Tired. Um, but something, something that you said at the end that I want to highlight is something that is systematic in and of itself. And that is sort of the sports that are marketed towards like the inner city, but more specifically, like just two black students, black, like kids. And it, it's going to be your I'm basketball and your football. You know what I mean? And I played, I, I competed in a quote kind of unconventional sport where track and field, like nobody, I mean, it's not, it's not a big money sport, right? And so like, there's definitely more recruiting for it in the black community, but I could gel with you when it comes to playing an unconventional sport and sort of the uh, lack of access. Like if I didn't have money for spikes or if I didn't have access to a track club or a track or I was a hurdler. So like, that is a thing. Like I need access to hurdles to practice to do um and similarly with like tennis or like i don't know lacrosse or uh, swimming or golf and like all of these types of sports like access is key but also knowing that it exists is key when i tell you i didn't know what lacrosse was until my senior year of high school because there was a kid on my football team that was like i was like yo where are you where where are your offers coming from like where are you going he was like i'm going to vermont and i was like they, I was like, you wanted to play football in Vermont? He was like, nah, lacrosse. And I was like, what's lacrosse? I remember being like, what the fuck? What's lacrosse? Like, I did not know what lacrosse was until like I went to Notre Dame and then like it was the whole lacrosse team. And I was like, oh, this, I mean, this is great. I wish I would have known, uh, not that I would have played, but maybe, who knows? Had I been introduced to it, maybe I would have played lacrosse or like field hockey and things like that. Like I didn't see that till I went to went to college, but it comes down to access. And I, and I wanted that to be <clears throat> highlighted because there's not a lot of it. And like specifically with swim and with pools, it's like proximity. Proximity is access. So like what you, you started to talk about real estate and just where black people live and where black people are told they're supposed to live. It is not in proximity to a pool that has swimming lessons. It might just be a public pool that exists with a lifeguard, but it's not a pool that's gonna have swimming lessons and it's not gonna go below five feet because we can't swim, which is a problem. You know what I mean? Like these these things and this access is is it's big. It's it's bigger than even we can make it during this conversation. Like it it is a big, big deal. And I love that you shed a light on the the unconventional sports aspect of it because it's about access. It's about money. Like even in gymnastics or something like a lot of 
black people that get into it have to be sponsored. And I actually looked that up because I, I didn't want to just say that and then like put black black people in a bad light and be like, we got to be sponsored. But it's true. Like some of our top, like people get people out here getting medals for the United States of America had to be sponsored on their way up just to like, have an opportunity to be trained and have an opportunity to go to the facility. Cheer, remember Cheer on Netflix? I learned about how much it costs to do that. I was like, what? Well, no wonder we, I mean, like we're there, but not really like for like Pop Warner and like high school, but not, not competitive. Like you didn't see a whole lot of us on that show. And there's a reason for that because it's one, it's not marketed to us. What's marketed to us is what's gonna keep making corporations money. And that's the sports where we're fast and aggressive, period. Fast, quick, aggressive, like muscles out. You know what I'm saying? Like not golf or not like swimming or not. And, and then in tennis, we have our, you know, we, we didn't really talk about tokenism, but we have our tokens in those sports where it's like, hey, now, like, what is it? There's like three or four uh, black hockey players. And it's like, hey, for all of us, you know what I mean? Like, hey us i'm not playing but thank you for representing us in your sport you know what i mean like i'm not going uh because i grew up in the desert but all of that to say um i'm glad that you brought up the lack of representation in unconventional sports and also just the lack of recruiting like what recruiters go into the inner city to recruit for tennis or golf when like most inner city schools as far as sports are concerned are going to be your football basketball players and like that's what we experienced, but then when I went to my newer high school, different neighborhood, different part of Arizona, and people were getting swim scholarships, and people were getting scholarships for, like, literally, we had a golf team. Did North have a golf team? Did we, we have did. golf? We did, we did. But once again, <laughs> once again like, if you, did. if you didn't have the finances or those clubs weren't handed down to you, the school wasn't providing because it's not in the budget, because the inner sure. city is a prison, you know, that, that's the school to prison pipeline, but that's a whole other world. Okay, now. Hey now, and we'll talk about it uh, soon. Um, we're actually, we took our whole time. Like we got through most of what we were gonna talk about. So here's what we'll do for the last couple of things. I'm gonna say, give me like three words for each of these topics instead of like doing a whole thing because it's, it's, it's time. So Jade, and give me three words that would describe being a black fitness instructor. Shit. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> on the spot, boy. Fun. Say that first. Challenging. Overwhelming. Gotcha. Thank you. And and mm -hmm. that was great. Uh, Jordan, three words that would that you would use to describe black representation in entertainment. Three words to describe black women. Um, whew, uh, <clears throat> lucrative. Um, all black is beautiful. That's the only other one I can think of right now. I, I like period. Like all black is beautiful. That, there, there's no good or bad. Gotcha. All palette of black. That's my copy. And <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm just gonna say one of the ones we said, ethnically ambiguous. Um, one of the things we said yesterday, ethnically ambiguous in black entertainment. It's a thing, just let that marinate. And then Tara, three words to describe performative allyship. Bullshit. 
Um, <laughs> counterproductive. Um, I feel like relearn and redistribute, like a phrase. Okay, like, and then okay, and then for you, just read what I put. Do you have it in front of you? Do you have the running show? In front of you? Oh yeah, it's like read literally right here. Read that That's, whole uh, all caps. Just read the it all caps by. part. I got it's you. The all caps part. <laughs> Not only do we need to dismantle the oppressive systems in place at major corporations, but the leaders need to relearn in order to then redistribute the new culture and/or policies that correctly represent an equal playing field for all. Boom. Okay. <laughs> all right. It was in all caps for a reason. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I could not, I could not, I mean, I, I wasn't going to ask you to read it like that, but since we, 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 we ran up against time, like that, that, like for anybody that still feels like they fall under the umbrella of performative allyship, or they know of people or continue to convene with people that are performative allies, call them out, uh, say something, white people, like call out other white people and, um, and be real. You know what I mean? Uh, as we've said time and time again, there's a difference between being an ally and being an accomplice. An ally can help you from afar. Different We got all kinds of countries that are allies to the US, right? But they're still over there. Whereas an accomplice is right there with you in the trenches, caught. You know what I'm saying? On camera, I was there too. Um, right, right on the front lines with you. And so that's really the culture that I'd love to start to, uh, I don't know, populate the the world with um lastly you know the the mission and the goal behind all of these conversations in this platform is to have people have a passion for people that's my goal that is that is my mission like have a passion for people a value for life specifically black life because as you can continue to see uh it's not valued it is not held at a high standard it's not held at the standard of just being a human being um it's disheartening um it's hard i'm not gonna stop doing this because uh, i want to continue to bring real life to black life um and i need you to continue to step into the room as always um it's not about being perfect in any of this if you leave with anything else even if you just held on to that whole bolded part that tara just said if you leave with anything else you don't have to be perfect I'm not asking anybody to, to, to be perfect and change the world without making a mistake. Um, but you do have to be present. Don't, don't look down the line and don't look behind. Like wherever you at right now, when you see the thing, how are you gonna react to the thing? Um, you don't have to go seek it out. You know what I mean? Sort of like what we talked about earlier. You don't have to go look for the thing to fix. It'll present itself. And then in that moment, as you're present, it's not about being perfect. It's just about being right there with it and being like, okay, uh, am I about to act right now? Like, am I performing or am I just, am I just doing, am I existing, am I being? Because to be present is to just be, to be present is to exist in the moment. And so um, I, I always want to end with that because this isn't about like being like, perfect like godly champion human beings nobody's perfect nah, i'm not perfect nobody on this call is perfect we all make mistakes nobody has all of the answers but the only way we get answers is by tripping a little bit right the only way we get answers is like 
I wonder if the stove's hot, touches it. That's hot. Okay. Well, mm. you know, it hurt, but now I know, you know what I'm saying? Like same type of type of thinking, same, same idea. And so, um, keep, keep doing the work, keep, keep reading all the things, keep listening to all the things. Uh, podcasts will be out Monday on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Um, again, content, is in is in the like I keep saying it every week and it's exciting every time because it's happening like all the BTS footage will be out like I don't know when but it'll be out uh, because we're we're creating things to continue this this work and this education and so before we hop out uh, Jade Tara Jordan please say goodbye to the to the white people do better white people we 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 want you on our side so let's do better you got to that's my bye. <laughs> <laughs> thank y'all for attending is it was it my turn or yours Jordan? doesn't you matter do what you gotta do, for listening thank you bryce for putting all of this together and being consistent and doing this every week thank you guys for showing up consistently and kind of putting your hearts out on the table too and uh yeah just keep the same energy forever like not not just 2020 let's keep this same energy forever and last but not least, uh, for your discomfort, thank you so much, Bryce, for putting this on. Thank you for everybody who supports him week in and week out doing this. And most importantly, um, continue just to take these examples weekly or even if this is your first week and just help us keep echoing and amplifying our voices and our perspectives. If you have questions, do some research or you can ask or you can come back to for your discomfort because there's 19 episodes with a whole lot of ideas and examples on here. Um, but most importantly, just, just let our legacy continue to grow and just let us be us and just you be you and just continue to grow in your own way. Come on, just let us be us and you be you. That he, you, hey. Also, shouts out to uh, Jordan's podcast, Say It Loud. Like, if we didn't do that, uh, he'd have the podcast and I'm gonna plug it. Plugging, Say It Loud podcast, Jordan Hunter, uh, Boogie the Beast. Um, I was on what exactly almost exactly two years ago uh, exactly today, two years ago uh, which is wild um, that's wild like I didn't know that until Facebook told me <laughs> um, but have a have a have a blessed day have a great day everybody keep keep doing the work keep stepping into the room weekly and I will see y'all not next Friday because next Friday is 9-11 and we're not talking next Friday next Friday like it's about to be Labor Day weekend into 9-11 so mm -mm, nope no, but we will be back the week after with another conversation. I'll post something. Something's going to be there. There will be content on that day, just not a live uh, Zoom call because I just need people to do whatever they feel they need to do uh, on 9-11 because that is, will forever be a real thing. And so, like, you know, I'm not going to have a whole talk while that's on people's minds. Uh, but the week after that, we back and look, I got, hey, okay. The week after that, I got, um, I ain't going to tell you because I, I want you to come. But just know it's important. All right? It's important. They're important. It's honest. Hey, okay? I'm excited. Hey, now. All right. I'm just talking down. All right, guys. Have a great Friday. <laughs> and I'll see you all next week. Or no, the week after next week. Okay, bye. Thanks for stepping into the room. That was a lot. But it was also pretty great. You got this. Remember. It's not about being perfect. It's about being present. Keep leaning in, keep listening, keep learning.
and I'll see y'all next time.